Luke 9, 23 through 27. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you guys, or gift to you. Um, we love God's Word here, and we'd love you to uh, enjoy it at home as well. If you're in the Blue Bible, it is on page 960. Yes, 960. If you would please stand if you are able with, for the reading of God's Word. Luke nine twenty three through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, should, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today on this beautiful day and uh, daylight savings, also known as torture if you're a parent of small children who sleep on a schedule and this, that, and the other. Um, hey, just wanted to update you on something really quick. Uh, there's some exciting things happening in the life of our church. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a church business meeting for those who are covenant members here. At the end of October, we started the God's Money Capital Campaign, which was sort of a big vision for us as a church on some remodels, some updates, some expanding of rooms, the parking lot, this, that, and the other. And wanted to update you since the end of October... Um, you guys, we have all put our money together and we have raised $167,071.58. Yes. That's incredible, man. It's incredible. And so what we voted on as a church a couple weeks ago was phase A of a three-part phase, which uh, the first phase will be moving our offices over to the parsonage, um, remodeling that, expanding out the lobby. Because if you kind of turn the corner, there's like a whole other church that's happening back there with the kiddos and everything. So when you round that corner, we're going to be opening that up, freeing up some space and this, that, and the other. So just want to lay that before you. Um, that is constantly open to be able to give to. You can go on our website and go click giving, and then there's some tabs and this, that, and the other. But we just want to be transparent and always keeping you guys sort of in the loop of some exciting things that are happening here um, within the life of the church, okay? Now we're going to transition into the sermon. You ready for this? And now we're in the sermon, right? You see how that happened? is incredible, right? So what we are is we're in the uh, second Sunday of Lent, and uh, last week it'd probably be pretty important for you to sort of check up on it. Here's what we've said, that this season is the 40 days that leads us to Easter, Easter is the great celebration for us as Christians. And what we said was, is that any celebration requires preparation. Whether it's a birthday party, a wedding, no matter what it is, whatever you're about to celebrate requires preparation. And we said that historically the church has celebrated Lent, which leads us to the cross, the central core of Christianity. And today the verses that were read to you is sort of, um, not sort of, they're Jesus' calling card. Like if Jesus had a business card and they were like, hey, Jesus, can you tell me about um, your whole deal and your, you know, your kind of followers and like what this thing's about? He would hand you this business card. And as I was thinking about and studying the passage, something immediately popped into my mind. Um, some of you, the odds are that maybe some of you are somebody that you know is what's known as a crossfitter, right? Okay. The exercise, this is sort of a, a bunch of exercise put together Almost human torture, right? This, that, and the other people who push their body to the limits. Um, I don't crossfit. 
I work out at Planet Fitness, which is a judgment-free zone, okay? All right? <laughs> they, like, give you bagels and stuff, and there's, like, purple workout gear, and I don't know, I just feel better, okay, right? Where CrossFit's a pretty serious deal, and I know some people that do it, and they love it, and it's incredible stuff. Um, CrossFit was founded by this guy, Greg Glassman, in 1996. Um, if you looked at Greg, you probably wouldn't say, like, wow, you probably founded CrossFit, right? Uh, he's just a great business guy. In 1996, um, they started with 13 boxes, which is what they call their gyms. Their gym is sort of a box. So they started um, with 13 of those, and that quickly spread to 13,000 gyms or boxes. And CrossFit is a four billion dollar company, four billion dollar company. But if you know anybody that's involved in it, it, it kind of consumes them a little bit from, from diet to the working out to the friendships, which is exactly what was the purpose of CrossFit. And Greg actually said this in Forbes magazine, a CrossFitter is consumed with CrossFit, with their gym or their box. It's like a family to them. If a person fully gives themselves to CrossFit, they should be a person who is consumed by it. They have a workout of the day, which is called sort of the WAD, the workout of the day, and they switch it up sort of every day. And when I was thinking about this, I just read our text and thought, well, that, that's it. Jesus says, um, there's a workout of the day if you want to follow me. It, it involves taking up your cross daily and following me. But, but really the central key to this is, is what we're learning is the cross. And, and this is just the jelly on the bottom shelf. And the big idea that I want to work with today is this. The Christian life is a life that is consumed by the cross. It's everything. The Christian life is the life that is consumed by the cross. And I just want to do a quick plug and shout out. If you've got a kid back there at Kidside, they're learning the same thing that you're learning today. Their big idea today is Jesus is the boss, so I'll carry my cross, right? I should probably use that in here. You'd probably remember that better or something, right? And they've also got their own little bulletin. They're learning this. If you want to know who's a part of that, they got the team on the back. Here's the reason why. There's questions on the back of this that, that you're learning today. That on the way home, you can be asking your kids about the same lesson. Also, the youth that meets this coming Wednesday, they're going to discuss this same message as well. So what we have in mind here at Westside is not babysitting your kids and not just feeding your teenager pizza or something like that. We really want to make disciples. That's really what we want to do. And so we've got the whole family sort of in mind about this. Because this is a big deal, Jesus says. That if you want to follow me and be my disciple, then the cross, this cross, it should consume you. And by the way, if you jump up in those verses, we see over in verse 20, Jesus asks a question. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, bingo, Yahtzee, you got it, that's it, right? Then he describes this in verse 21. And he quickly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. Then on the third day, right? Can you imagine that? Hey, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Neo of the Matrix? Like, are you the guy here? Is this the thing? Is this happening? I am. And by the way, um, I'm going to be maligned, rejected, ridiculed, and I'm going to be murdered. I'm the savior of the world, buddy, right? 
The cross is always the description that Jesus uses when he says, I'm the Messiah, and the disciples never understand it. This theme about the cross is the core of what we see in partnership with the resurrection to the rest of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is preaching to a church in Corinth. And he says, you know the number one thing that I wanted to leave this mega church? I mean, it's wealthy. It's in a centralized location. There was one message that I had. Well, I'll just read his words. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hey, Paul, hey, Paul, what do I need to know? What's your message? Well, number one, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And what's the main thing, Paul, that we need to know about Jesus? Him crucified, crucified. Paul later on writes the book of Romans and Romans chapter 8, which is like the Mount Everest of the Bible. It's got that verse that's on coffee mugs and sweatshirts and pillows. For nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That is found like we love that. That is an incredible verse. It's awesome. But do you know what else the Apostle Paul writes? He says this. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That, That is crazy what he just said. Like, because some of us think that God just saved us and then, like, kind of puts up with us. Like, there's Bill again, right? Like, God saved you, but he doesn't really like you. That's what we think. And Paul says, no, no, no. You're co-heirs with Christ. You're co-heirs with Christ. Well, that's good news. What else, Paul? Um, If indeed we share in his sufferings, I'm sorry, Paul, for a minute I thought you said that I needed to share in Christ's sufferings. Exactly. In order to share in his glory. Well, what does this mean? What does the cross and then sharing in these sufferings mean? Well, it means exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. Listen, this is the central invitation. Listen, if you're a non-believer in here or somebody who's sort of peeking over the fence at Christianity, like, hey, what's this about? You came on a great day. Because Jesus said, I mean, look, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. I mean, mean, he's just putting the jelly on the bottom shelf. Hey, if you want to be my follower, my disciple, this is what this looks like. I see three verbs in the text. Denying, taking, and following. That's what I see. If the Christian life is a life consumed by the cross, then what does that look like in my life? Denying, taking, and following. The first thing is this, denying ourselves. Denying ourselves, right? This isn't like, that popular. Like it's unbelievable what Jesus is saying. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Um, it's like, it seems like such an oxymoron on what Jesus is saying. Like what, what do you mean deny yourself? Um, I think it would do us well to spend a little time here because here's why. I think this verse um, has been used in a harsh, unhelpful way within the church of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, like some of us grew up at church camp and it was like, deny yourself. And you're like crying. You got saved 17 times at church camp. You're like, oh, man, I get to deny myself. So you go home and you're like, I'm denying myself. I'm denying myself. I'm denying myself. And then there was this like, God loves me, but I'm supposed to like deny myself and not have any joy at all because I'm denying myself and I love Jesus and I'm mad about it, right? And like all this stuff, okay? Um, I think it'd be helpful to know what, what he's not meaning when he says deny yourself. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time here. Um, denying ourselves is not, first of all, um, 
hating yourself. Okay? I think this is a big deal. Denying yourself is not hating yourself, who you are as a person. Because here's why. Jason, you got a verse to back that up? Actually, I do. I'm glad you asked, okay? Um, what was the one time when that lawyer came up and, and, and talked to Jesus, and he was like, hey, Jesus, can you summarize this? What's the big deal? What's all of this in a nutshell? Jesus, I need the jelly on the bottom shelf. That's in the Greek is what he says on the bottom shelf. And um, Jesus says, what does he say? I haven't read that part yet. Can you help me out? Um, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you are to love your neighbor. Finish it for me. As yourself. Fascinating. Question. Is there a presupposition that Jesus is saying when you love God, you will also find a healthy, healthy, healthy in big flashing lights, healthy love for yourself? For some of us, this is the issue. We have trouble loving our children, loving the relationships with we're in because... There's a part of us that we hate. All of us are created in the image and likeness of God. Oh, that's a great spot for an amen. We as Christians believe that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. Amen. That there is a worth there. That, is, that, that, that the world cannot put a price tag on. And so if you think denying yourself is hating yourself, there is a level of guilt and shame that are like shackles on you and there's never quite enough and there's this but God loves me but not you know it's not that the second thing is this um, denying yourself is not destroying yourself destroying yourself here's what I mean by that it's not ignoring your emotions all right I'm learning a lot about emotional health and how Christians are horrible at it okay so there's, there's this lie in the church that you can be spiritually mature and gone to church all your life, and you are an emotional seven-year-old little girl, okay? Shout out to all the seven-year-old girls. All right, I've got little girls. Okay, I'm just saying, all right? Um, that, that's an untruth. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Your emotional health is directly related to your relational health with people around and this, that, and the other. So it's like it's not ignoring pain, grief, sadness, hurt. It's not ignoring that. And here's what we do in church. We have like these hallmark lies, as I like to call them, right? Like somebody loses a loved one or something like that, and well, God needed another angel. If you say that to me, I'll lay hands on you biblically, okay? That is a, like, what? What? You know what you're doing? It's called spiritual bypassing. You're ignoring an emotion that you probably growing up is where your family system comes in. We're just going to do it today. You guys good with that? All right, here we go. This is what you learn to do in your family in order to survive. So you ignore that emotion and then run to something. Like for me, it's performance. Okay? So I struggle deep with insecurity and people liking me. So what I'll do is I'll kill myself to constantly try to impress and get results while all the while I'm ignoring these things that are happening in my life. And in the end, you're, you're left destroyed. That, that's not what Jesus means by deny yourself. And then the last thing is this. He doesn't mean lie to yourself. That's not what denying yourself is. And, 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 and what lying does is, is, is it's chaos, right? And so it's like, um, well, this is the cross I need to bear. I'm just in this abusive relationship. What? 
Here's what we say at Westside all the time. You can love Jesus and call the 5-0 on somebody in a heartbeat, okay? That's slang for cops, all right? Did you guys know that? Okay. I mean, like, what? What? Why is that important? Um, because God only meets us in reality, not the world that you try to prop up. And by the way, nobody lies to you more than you do. It's not that bad. It doesn't hurt. Well, this, well, that. That's not what denying yourself is. Jesus meets us where we are in the brokenness, in the pain, in all of those things. Emotional health. Read the book of the Psalms. So then what is this? And this is, this is the first step. We need to spend time here. Jesus is saying, if you're coming to me, you need to deny yourself. Well, what is that? Well, here's the definition I want to work with. Denying ourselves is acknowledging and accepting the truth that I am not my own authority. Do you feel it? you feel it in your chest when you hear that sentence? That's the lawyer rising up in you. I know no other sentence that could be more controversial in 2020. You know why? Because we believe ultimately in autonomy. This is my life, and this shit, right? And so we say stuff like, well, pff, it's just who I am. Okay, number one, you're mean, okay? Number two, Proverbs says, in order to have friends, you must be friendly, okay? That's why I don't have any friends, because you're mean, all right? So we say stuff like, well, pff, this is who I am. Love it or lump it, like it, or whatever that dumb saying is, okay? Do you know what that is? That's pride. And here's what it is. I will not humble myself. So in order to engage in my life, it will be on my terms. I know no other anti-gospel greater than that. I know no other anti-Christ than I am my own authority. But what does this mean? Like deep down, Jesus is saying, listen, step number one. Like how horrible of a sales pitch is this? Hey, listen, you want to um, be my disciple? Step number one, surrender your life and give up all authority and control. It really weeds the people out, right? Because if anybody's there for step two, you're like, they're either crazy or they really love me in this thing, right? I love the way that John Stott says it. He says this, The self we are to deny, disown, and crucify is our fallen self. Everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ. Hence his commands, let him deny himself. Let, them, uh, let him follow me. Now, the self we are to affirm and value is our created self. Everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. Hence, Jesus' statement that if we lose ourselves by self-denial, we actually find ourselves. True self-denial, the denial of our false, fallen self, is not the road to self-destruction, but actually the road to self-discovery. Do you see how anti-worldly this is? Because the anthem to the world is, do you, that's your truth, fill that desire, whatever makes you happy, pursue that and just tag, sprinkle a little Jesus on top of that, and then you're good to go. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Do you love me and do you trust me enough to lay down your dating life? 
to lay down how you handle your money, to lay down how you handle your relationships and say, that's not mine. That's not mine anymore. Step number one is, is denying ourselves in a life that is consumed by the cross. So how do we do that? Glad you asked. That's the second part. He says you deny yourself by taking up your cross. Look at what he says there. Taking up your cross daily. I love the fact that, that Jesus did not say um, take up my cross. He could have said that, right? I mean, that almost would have made sense when I read that this week. I thought, why didn't he say take up my cross? Because it's like the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, now, now we're getting into it on the denying ourselves, laying. I am not my authority anymore. I don't move in autonomy. I'm surrendered to Christ. And now I have a cross to bear and to pick up. You see, Jesus' cross was for the sins of the whole world, right? That, that implies that, that we have a, a daily cross. And I need to do a little bit of work here because unfortunately, like, Hollywood and some stuff has um, misunderstood what the cross was. So, so, so the cross was Roman-style execution. That's what it was. It was uh, to make a point that you will not overthrow the Roman government and you will not break our laws. And so actually, back where Jesus was, wood would have been pretty scarce to come by, actually. Um, so, so, so the vertical post of the cross would have already been in the ground, for sure. We know that historically. What the condemned criminal would have bore, what was the, it was the cross beam, is what that was. And so for a lot of people, they, they didn't get nailed to the cross. They actually got ropes tied because they reused the cross over and over, like multiple times a day, okay? And the people that got nailed to the cross were the ones who we really need to make an example of them. This, this is pain. You know the word that we get excruciating? Look up the etymology. It means from the cross, excruciating pain means from the cross. This is what a, a sort of a rendering what it would have looked like what Jesus was carrying. So, so the cross beam would have been 75 to 125 pounds. And, and, and he would have had ropes. And when Jesus falls, when, he, when he's on his way to Golgotha and they have Simon help him carry, that's what he would have been helped with. And, and when he would have fell, I mean, any physician can look at this. When he would have fell, he would have fell chest down. No bracing of himself. So you've got 125 pounds on your back, plus your weight. You're dehydrated. You've gone through scourging, all of those things. And when he would have fallen, most scholars believe he probably would have suffered a heart contusion. Like his chest probably would have broken. There would have been some clotting. That's why when they ran the spear in his side up into the heart sack, blood and water and all of these things come out. It's evidence of a heart contusion. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to follow me. Come on, you ready? Let's go. Sunshine and rainbows. What does this mean? Why would Jesus use the worst symbol of his day and flip it and redeem it? You see, listen, here's what we want. We want a resurrection. Oh, God, Jesus, save my marriage. Bring my prodigal home. Oh, God, Jesus, this God, resurrect. God, do this. Everybody wants a resurrection and nobody wants a crucifixion. And Jesus says the only thing that gets resurrected is the thing that dies. So what does this mean daily for us, the cross, this symbol? 
Well, I think the rest of the New Testament can help us with this. I just want to be very practical here. All of these passages have to do with a direct mention of the cross. What does carrying my cross daily look like? Well, the first thing is this. It's daily submission. We said that. Um, When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sweating drops of blood, his friend has just betrayed him, he's going to be heartbroken, he's getting ready to be unjustly tried. He prays and asks God, ask the Father. He says, if this cup can pass, let there be another way. Please let there be another way. But not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus shows us this. It's it's daily submission. So, So it's when we wake up, what we're saying is this day, this breath in my lungs, it is not mine, but it is yours. We, we immediately start the day in a submission of position when it comes before God. And then the next thing is this. Um, it's daily forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says that um, God forgave us the record of debt that stood over us. And then he answers it by, by, nailing it to the cross. You see, forgiveness, if you have a relationship in your life, this is very practical. Let's, I mean, let's get real You're not going to like it, but it's just real practical, okay? So if you have a relationship that's on the rocks and, and there's some hurt and there's some ought there, um, our definition of forgiveness here at Westside is uh, absorbing the blow. So you've got two options. You can try to make them pay. And just question, how's that, how's that going for you? You satisfied with that yet? Yeah. Because that is a black hole that will consume your life. I'm not saying that justice doesn't prevail and that if it's legal. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying what we see from the cross is this idea that I surrender this. I free this person from this debt. It's daily submission and it is daily forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It is a conviction in a moment, and then it is a daily choice after that. It's daily submission. It's daily forgiveness. And then how about this? Daily sacrifice. I mean, that, that's what the cross is, is sacrifice. It is that he has the power to call down 10,000 legions of angels, wipe everything out. But what comes from Jesus' lips is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, man. Like, show me any other worldview. Show me any other religion in any other worldview that has that at the center of it. That's why I'm so compelled by this Jesus. It is a constant sacrifice. And what love says is, is you before me. Not that dumb movie, me before you. That's the most dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? It's, it's you before me. It's the sacrifice. And Paul says, um, God made peace between sinners and God. How? making peace by the blood of the cross. Listen, there is, there, peace comes at a price. It just does. So if you want peace back in your marriage, peace back in your relationships, there is a cost that we have to be willing to lay down. So it's not just that, but the last thing is this. It's daily humility. I mean, no artist would ever paint this or render this. Um, but, but people were crucified naked. It was, it was humility. It was complete 
humility. And the cross wasn't like 15 feet in the air. Oftentimes it was almost at eye level so you could go by and spit on them and curse at the criminal and do, I mean, it was everything about shame that it could be. And Paul says that Jesus Christ, being equal with God, emptied himself in taking on the form of a servant and humbled himself and was obedient to death, even, Paul says this, even death on a cross. It's humility. So it's not everyday jockeying for position in relationships and job and how do I get the upper hand and how do I serve me, but rather, how do I serve others? Like, so let's just look at this list. What if, your, what if our day, what if my day started as, um, God, today's not mine, it's yours. I'm not my own authority today. How I spend my money, how I handle my relationships, it's yours. God, today, um, the forgiveness that I need to offer others, I know that you have first shown me. You've given me that forgiveness. Um, God, today, how can I show others by putting them in front of myself? And then, God, lastly, today is not about me. Look up here. And if you're arguing with me, like, well, you don't know what they did, you just keep arguing. I'm going to ignore you, okay? Um, if your day started like that, how would you have time to complain about other stuff? Like, if that's your day, how are you like, those Democrats and like, what? Like, what? If that's your day, imagine how the world could change in a day if it saw that type of love and sacrifice. And here's the question. Here's the question I just want, just etch and sketch right in your heart is this. What does love require of me? I don't care what situation you're dealing with. I don't care what the, listen, this is the guiding question. What does love require of me? And now I'm not talking about like love all, like you need a cupcake and an extra star to your name because you're a snowflake and you're awesome little Billy. I'm not talking about that, okay? Because guess what love could be? Love could be a very difficult conversation with a friend over a cup of coffee about some things and some truths that need to be said. Love is not, well, I'll just let the Bible define it. That would be a crazy thought. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we've loved God. Well, I know because I did the thing and, the, and, I, and I chose, and I did the, not because we've loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love the way one commentator put it. Jesus frames his call of discipleship in extreme terms, using words like whoever and must. And in so doing, he excludes anyone who wants some other kind of discipleship. Here's what should be happening in your mind right now. I didn't know that was Christianity. I never, is that what it means to follow Jesus? And then what Jesus is saying. That should be happening in our hearts and minds. Some other kind of discipleship. It is a daily activity, not merely a decision made once and left to the wayside. Picking up one's cross is the most extreme way to describe the self-denial required of disciples. If we take Jesus' words seriously, we have to admit and confess that much that passes for Christianity today will eventually be revealed as a diabolical counterfeit. And that is true. So answer, 
if it does not involve a blood-stained cross, it is not Christian. I don't even care if it's in a Christian bookstore. If it does not involve this submission and then this picking up, but I know what you're doing. Oh, so good news about this. Gee whiz, right? Well, remember, it's, it's flipped. And we know that Jesus knows that, that you have to have a motivation. Why do I need to lay down my life and why do I need to pick up a cross? What's in it? What's, what's the motivating factor? Here's what we've said Lent is, is that it's giving up lesser loves in order to gain the greater love. You see, we don't just remove things from our life. That'll never work. That's why, like, I'm going to give up, you know, the pornography or the addiction or the lying or the God. Like, do you know why you do that? Do you know why we have different standards of what it is to date or marry or any of those? Do you know why? Because we love something other than God. That's why. So, like, yeah, I, mean, I mean, even as a small child, okay, like, why, why would one of my children lie about eating a cookie and say, no, Dad, I didn't, and face just covered in Nutella, okay, just like all up on the, no, I did not. Why? Because in that moment, they loved that chocolate more than they loved me. That's why. That, that, there's a motivating factor behind that. So what's the motivation for this? What's the last thing? It's denying, taking, then following. It's following Jesus. It is Jesus. And he says, whoever would deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, here it is. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, now here it is. Why do I need to lose my life, Jesus? He answers, for my sake. For my sake. Whoever loses it for my sake. Listen, I say this all the time. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face until I am dead and in the ground. The goal of following Jesus is Jesus. That's the prize. It's not a safe family or a 401k or the man or woman of your dreams. The, following, the goal of following Christ and the prize of following the person of Jesus is the person of Jesus. And if that's not enough for you, you are not a Christian. If there's any other motivating factor behind that, it has to be Christ. That's the center of everything, of the selfless and sacrificial love. So what does that life look like? Very briefly, Jesus tells us. It looks like life and death. It looks like gain and loss. And it looks like acceptance and rejection. That's what he says. If you lose your life, you'll find it. What does it profit? I mean, you, that's where I'm getting the switch from. It's in the text. Jesus says, what does it mean to gain the world and then lose your soul? What does it mean to get your life and then to lose your life? What does it mean to deny me and then get denied? This is what the Christian life looks like, is life and death. Then I'm getting ready to have to go into this conversation. I might leave and this person might not like me. Were you faithful to Christ? Because that's life and death. Jason, I'm, I'm getting ready to have a conversation because I've got some things in my life and, and, and this, that, and the other. And, and from all worldly appearance, from all worldly appearance, it's going to look like a loss. Well, it's gain. Acceptance and rejection. Listen, in closing, the Christian life is a life consumed by the cross. That is what it is. This is the, the pitch, if you will, that Jesus gives. Um, I turned 33 in February, and 
is great, awesome, surrounded by family and friends. I have a very blessed life. I didn't think I'd make it to 33 because, um, like, college and stuff. But anyway, that's a whole different deal. Um, and I was, like, struggling with it because a lot of theologians and a lot of scholars believe that Jesus was 33 when he died. He started his ministry at 30. He had three years, you know, around 33. And I was like, <laughs> woohoo, right? The year of crucifixion, this is great. I was on a coaching call with um, one of our cohorts. And Ben, the guy, was just great. And I was telling him about that. And he goes, wow, man, that's great. Happy birthday. It's a good year to die. And I was like, oh, yeah. It's a good year to die. Die to my selfishness. Die to my insecurities. Die to my pride. And the moment that he said it, the quote just came. I know the room that I was sitting in when I first read it. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your own ambitions, your favorite wishes. Every day, a death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. Look inside yourself. And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Oh, but when you look for Christ, but when you look to Christ, you will find Him and with Him everything else thrown in. C.S. Lewis wrote that as his introduction to Christianity. It's so counterintuitive. So today I want us to exercise this. One of the ways that we can corporately deny ourselves is, is through confession. We see that all through the New Testament. Confession means that we're not our own authority, but we need saving. So Westside, if you could just stand to your feet. You have an insert there in your bulletin. And I want us to read this before we come and partake in the table today. Westside, let us deny ourselves. Lift your voices. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And by what we have done, and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are reminded that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And so what we hear spoken over the confession is love, mercy, and grace. For when we deny ourselves, we find ourselves. So God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit today that hearts and minds would be changed that relationships would be restored, not through sheer power and might, but through repentance and sacrifice and humility. We pray this all in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ.